Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 759 for the 3rd of September, 2021. This week, if you're frustrated with the current crop of browsers, how about giving Vivaldi a try? It may be the most customizable browser available, and it has a lot of features that make it easy to use. In short circuits, scammers run the gamut from just plain stupid to brilliant. Most are somewhere in the middle, capable of producing scams with clever ways to separate people from their money or their data, but not quite smart enough to make their attempts entirely convincing. Users of Backup and Sync from Google are already seeing alerts about the upcoming Drive for Desktop. The new version can be installed right now, and there are good reasons for doing it sooner rather than later. In spare parts, only on the website, there are several ways to store your vaccination record on a smartphone, and any of the options will be better than carrying the CDC card around. Companies want more and more of our personal data, but we consumers are beginning to push back. And 20 years ago, it looked like the new media would be driven by old media, but a lot has changed since 2001. Antonio Lucio Vivaldi was an Italian composer who lived from 1678 to 1741. He was one of the greatest Baroque composers, and his music was well known throughout Europe. Today we have a web browser called Vivaldi. You might wonder why it's called Vivaldi, and there's a story about that. So, of course, I'll have to tell it. The Vivaldi browser is based on Chromium, but it has a lot of extra features. John Stevenson von Techner, the co-founder and CEO of Opera Software, was unhappy with Opera's development and founded Vivaldi with Tatsuki Tomita in 2016. If you want the longer backstory that involves a bit of intrigue, see the Wikipedia article about Vivaldi, the browser, not the company. Or if you'd like to learn more about the composer, I have a link for that one too. You'll find them both on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Vivaldi, the browser, doesn't have a large market share, but it's worth looking at. In mid-August, I was frustrated by the major browsers. Firefox had become slow again and unstable. It crashes frequently and without any apparent cause. Chrome consumes far too many system resources. Microsoft Edge is simply annoying for more reasons than I have time to elucidate. Both Opera and Vivaldi were installed on my primary computer. I've used each occasionally. Previously, I had tried Brave and some of the other browsers. Nearly all of them are based on Chrome. But the best options seemed to be Opera and Vivaldi, at least for what I want to do. I flipped a coin. Vivaldi won. Opera is also based on Chrome, but Vivaldi offers an enormous amount of customization options. You can customize the start page, choose one of Vivaldi's themes or create your own, set prepared or custom backgrounds, put the tab bar in whichever location you want. 
And that's just the start. I like the ability to position bookmarks on the left and to have page tabs appear in a vertical list at the right of bookmarks. The furthest left column can also contain downloads, history, Windows lists, email, RSS feeds, contacts, calendar, Vivaldi help, and Wikipedia links. And if that's not enough, there's an option to add even more. Users may be concerned about the lack of an option to add extensions, but this is a browser based on Chrome. There was no option to add LastPass, the password manager I cannot be without. At least no option to add it directly from Vivaldi. No problem. The Chrome Web Store's extensions page provides access to the LastPass extension and to hundreds of others. That's one advantage of basing the browser on Chrome. So the results have been good so far. I've been able to install Adblock Plus, Alexa Traffic Rank, Colorzilla, LastPass, Pocket, and Social Fixer. Those are my must-have extensions. When I took a look at the Task Manager, Vivaldi had 61 processes open, but typically it uses only about half of 1% of the CPU and about 3.5 gigabytes of system memory. In 1995, that would have been an obscene use of resources. Today, it's well within norms. The ability to modify Vivaldi is probably the most important feature. The user who opens the Settings panel will find 21 panels of settings, many of which contain more than a few options. These range from General and Appearance, to Feeds and Mail, from Start Page and Tabs, to Search and Privacy. Fortunately, Vivaldi provides some guidance about what users will find in those many optimization screens. You'll find a link to that information on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Vivaldi's speed dial page, although it's not unique, is helpful for sites that you want to visit regularly, but not so much that you want to load them when the browser loads. For me, this includes sites such as Wikipedia, an internet speed test, some media resources, Amazon, Snopes, and a variety of hardware and software support sites. Vivaldi places four icons in the lower left corner of the window. Show or hide the left panel, take a break, synchronization status, and email. Hiding the left panel is helpful when you need more horizontal space to view a website. Vivaldi can synchronize settings on multiple machines, and the status icon will confirm that everything is up to date. And email is helpful only if you've connected an email account to the browser. The Take a Break icon, which looks like a pause button, is a very clever feature. When you don't want to be bothered by any website, click it. Vivaldi will pause any playing media and blank the browser window so you can concentrate on something else. All of the tabs remain open, and clicking the play button in the middle of the screen, or pressing control period, immediately restores the content. This is really helpful if you want to eliminate sounds from browser-based applications when you're recording a podcast, for example, but you don't want to close the browser. Firefox has been my default browser since about 2002 when it was released. It has had problems, including massive memory leaks that persisted year after year. Eventually, they got a handle on that. And the feature set was always enough to bring me back after trying other browsers. 
The current version of Firefox, though, is so slow and so crash-prone that I needed to find an alternative, at least for a while. Nearly every browser but Firefox is based on Chrome, even Microsoft's new Edge browser and Vivaldi. Chrome is Chrome, but each developer adds functions and features that are intended to appeal to users. In this regard, Vivaldi has done a remarkably good job. There is one notable downside to Vivaldi, though. You won't find a version for iOS. You can install Vivaldi on a Windows computer, a Mac OS computer, and an Android smartphone, but not on an iPad or an iPhone. There are rumors that an iOS version might be in the works sometime. Nothing about when, though. Download Vivaldi for Windows or the Mac OS from the Vivaldi website. You'll find the link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you have an Android phone, check out the Google Play Store. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, no matter how many protective applications are installed on your computer, the final line of defense is still you. Knowing when not to click something, when not to call a phone number, and when simply to delete a message is essential. Sometimes the scam is obvious. Sometimes it's pretty well crafted. And sometimes, most of the time actually, it's somewhere in the middle. A clever trick or two piled on a heap of nonsense. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website and you'll see what purports to be a message from PayPal. It is clearly a scam. So let's examine the obvious clues first. Although the message claims to be a PayPal message, my name is shown as the sender and the displayed from address is somebody else's Gmail account. Well, after seeing that, there's no need to look any further, but there's a lot more to be found in this message. Merchants, not PayPal, send purchase confirmations. The message says that an unidentified $520 purchase will be delivered tomorrow, but I can cancel the order within 24 hours. I wonder how that works. An unsubscribe link at the bottom of the message goes to Google. The phone number offered to cancel the order goes to a location in Mississippi. The text was written by someone with a minimal understanding of English, and an advertisement is combined with a phony Better Business Bureau graphic. The BBB would never allow that. So, the person who created the scam is, not to put too fine a point on it, an idiot. But many scammers are intelligent, and even this scam does display a bit of advanced thinking. Except for the unsubscribe link, there is nothing to click. Those who are sufficiently well-informed to know that email links can be hazardous might not attach the same concerns to a phone number. But what about that phone number? PayPal would almost certainly provide a toll-free number, 
and any standard number would be to a California area code. PayPal's primary office is in San Jose, but the street address shown at the bottom of the email as being in San Diego doesn't even exist. What happens if you call the phone number? Well, you'll probably be told, oh my, someone has apparently used your credit card to place a phony order. You should cancel it. Now, to cancel the order, of course, they will need your credit card number, your name as it appears on the card, your billing postal code, and the card's security number. Give them that information, and although your credit card hasn't yet been used by crooks, it soon will be. Users of Android and iOS devices have had Google Drive for quite some time, and users of desktop Windows and macOS systems have had backup and sync from Google. Google will be eliminating backup and sync after deploying Drive for desktop. The new app is available right now, and it seamlessly updates backup and sync to the new interface. Beware, though, Drive for Desktop provides several new features, but it also modifies or eliminates some capabilities. There is a second option, one that seems to be less used. Google Drive File Stream will continue to exist. Users who have a lot of files on Google's servers, but a limited amount of space on a computer, may want to consider continuing to use Drive File Stream instead, or switch to it if they're not using it now. Drive for Desktop provides access to files stored in Google Drive from your computer. Any changes you make to files are synchronized across all devices. The primary choice is between file streaming and file syncing or mirroring. Mirrored files are stored in the cloud and on your computer, which takes up hard drive space. The advantage is that all files are available at any time, even when you don't have an internet connection, and even when the Drive for Desktop app isn't running. The files will all be in a folder on your computer. When you stream files, your My Drive files are stored only on Google's servers. Hard drive space is used only when the user opens files. The cost of saving disk space means that files can be accessed only when the computer is connected to the Internet and when the Drive for Desktop app is running. Google Drive creates a logical drive letter on the computer that provides access to the files. On a Mac, there is, of course, no drive letter, just a location. If you're using Backup and Sync, your files are not affected because Drive for Desktop is an update for the Backup and Sync and Drive File Stream tools, not your stored files. If you're using Drive File Stream, you will see a few differences. The primary change is that the app's name will change from Drive File Stream to Drive for Desktop. Additionally, users will have some new features from Backup and Sync. The installation process is a bit more complex on a Mac because users have to approve Drive's access permissions for folders such as desktop documents and downloads and access to devices such as removable and network volumes and the Photos library. Those who use the streaming function will find files are downloaded by default to the C drive on a Windows computer. If the computer has more than one disk drive and the C drive has a limited amount of space, moving the local cache directory to another disk drive will help. 
Drive for Desktop will back up folders stored on removable devices, such as a thumb drive or an external hard drive. If you've set up Backup and Sync to synchronize these devices, Google says they need to be attached to the computer during the migration process. Even so, Google warns, USB devices won't be migrated. This is an important update for Mac OS users. A recent operating system update broke backup and sync on Mac computers. Hey, thanks, Apple. That was really appreciated. Drive for Desktop fixes the problem. So Mac users who want to sync files with other computers shouldn't wait to be forced to install the new app. Users can download the new Drive for Desktop right now. You'll find a link to the download location on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The installation process moves accounts and settings from Backup and Sync to Google Drive for Desktop. During the process, users review and confirm the settings for the folders on the computer that are being backed up with Backup and Sync. When the process is complete, Backup and Sync will be automatically uninstalled. Details about the less common use cases and functions are on Google's website, you'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. There's nothing you need to install to read spare parts. Just point your browser to the TechBiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. There are several ways to store your vaccination record on a smartphone, and any of the options will be better than carrying the CDC card around. Companies want more and more of our personal data, but we consumers are beginning to push back. And 20 years ago, it looked like the new media would be driven by the old media. But a lot has changed since 2001. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.